I don't know if you know this, but summertime is a time for summer camps, and Sweathead is going to run its third summer camp this July to August over four weeks. It's called the C Word Awakening. From July 18 to August 10, we're going to focus on the four C's consumer truth, cultural truth, competitive truth, and company truth in the middle bit, the center bit, another C. And then we're going to give you a taste of comms planning as well. You're going to hear from Tess Isopoulos from Widen and Kennedy, Simone Pratt from Saatchi and Saatchi, Dylan Viner from Triptych, Jenny Chang, cultural strategist, Nick Susie from dot dot dash, TBWA, Seth Gaffney from Preacher, Christina Pansaloni from Irico, Maria Van Buskirk from Media by Mother, Shane Rennie from Widen and Kennedy, and me, Mark Pollard from Sweathead. For more details about how to join us in the Sweathead Strategy Summer Camp, go to sweathead.com. Your C word awakening awaits. What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Today I have Victor Stroyer who is Associate Director and also Head of Strategy at Leo Burnett in Bucharest. Leo Burnett in Romania is the 11th most effective agency worldwide according to the 2022 EFI's Index. And what we're doing is a series of interviews with people running strategy teams and maybe even the agency in the EFI's Index list to try to understand how they think how they work, and how some of their most effective campaigns have come to life. Victor, Romania, I don't know a ton about it, but I'm excited to speak to you today. So first of all, welcome to Sweathead. Thank you for uh, inviting me and uh, hello to all your listeners. Yeah, I've heard you kind of crushing it over there, you personally and then your agency as well. What I'd love to do, because this will be the first interview in the series of people who are competing with you, I guess, for FEs and for FE attention, for FE love, is explain to people who don't know what the FEs are, what they the are. FEs is a competition. Actually, it's a big competition. I think it is in almost 50 countries around the world. Basically, it's a competition where they are rewarding campaigns that prove to be efficient through their creative approach. It is a competition where the results obviously have a huge impact. Also the strategic part, the creative part, and also the insight. But yes, in a nutshell, the FEs are about proving how certain communication approach led to effective results. And Romania is about to do another round of FE judging, as in the judging for 2023. And you mentioned that there are something like 208 entries, which is possibly the largest, or it's a very large number of entries. What do you put that down to? Why are so many people, agencies entering the FEs right yes, now? Yes, there are two main reasons. One is the FE actually, it's a franchise. So it's a model brought, I think it was developed in US. And what they did, they have a lot of sections. So because the projects in advertising agency, and not only because anyone in communication can submit, became so diverse, and now they have a lot of section. I think that 20 years ago, there were 10, maximum 12, and now I think that there are over 20. This is one side. And the second is the fact that uh, EFI, it uh, became more and more popular. So they had this strategy. The jury is very big. I think that there are 200 people in the jury. And then they are from advertising agency, but also a lot of clients, also people from the media or teachers and so on. So because they involved so many people, it became popular. And it became popular among the clients. And therefore, clients are demanding to enter the FEC. FEC is a hardcore as well. I mean, I know this is a hard question to answer, but on average... 
how many hours or how many days do you think it takes to put together an entry for the FX? Probably for us, because we are a quite big department, five people working on the FX. Everything is in English, so it's even more more difficult. I don't know how many hours. For sure, for each case, more than 20, even more. But I can tell you that around 10 a variant. So we write, rewrite, we write, rewrite, we write, rewrite. Then we change, we try to find new angles. And also there is the equally important part, the reel, because the campaigns are very diverse, as I told you. And then you need also to put in place a very nice movie. Also, it's a lot of time, involvement and so on. Yeah, I think I'm going to be judging some of the Romanian FE awards, which I'm looking forward to. I haven't been as close to the FEs really since I was at Leo Burnett and McCann back in Sydney back in the day. I know a big part of the FEs is about making your argument for how and why your campaign or your work, let's just generalize it to work because it could be more than a campaign was effective, but also you have to discount other things that might have made the campaign effective, right? So that's quite an unusual combination of things to do. What are some examples of ways you might need to discount? You know, so for example, maybe there was a price increase or decrease and you got to say, well, that had some effect on the effectiveness of the work that we did, but it doesn't make up for all of the effect. What are other examples of ways that you have to discount the effects of other things? I feel like each time when I'm writing or reading, uh, I feel like, you know, like a lawyer, you need to prove beyond uh, any uh, doubt that uh, the communication was in charge for your success. There are a huge number of uh, things that could impact. Probably for us, on top of uh, the regular, I don't know, price increase, promotion, distribution, the usual suspect, we have this because there are a lot of international campaigns overlapping with local campaigns. And then it's an extra element of uh, difficulty to judge the case. What we do, we compare, for example, with uh, similar situation of the past year, same conditions, we changed the communication campaign or we altered or, and this is how it worked better. There are so many cases and each case has its own approach. All right, let's chat Leo Burnett. I did work there in Sydney, arguably the highest performing agency I ever worked in. Everyone there, 20s and 30s, expected to be winning can awards all the time. Every campaign, you were supposed to be winning something. I didn't realize how unusual that was until I left. What is the current creative and or strategy philosophy of Leo Burnett? Maybe in Romania, if it's different from the global one, I doubt it is these days, but what is, what's the philosophy? Our philosophy, which is kind of particular because uh, different agencies have different positions and different clients. For us, for example, we cannot exist. Our philosophy is impacted by the clients that we have and the clients that we want to have. So I can talk uh, better about uh, what's happening in our office. An office that uh, doubled in size and in revenue in the last four years. So we are quite successful. How many people? And now we are 90. Five in the strategy department. So what's that, about 8% or something? We are one of the biggest departments. I don't know to compare from outside Romania because I don't know the figures. But for us, I think only one agency has more planners in their department. In Romania? Yes, in Romania. Yes, yes, yes. So when I was at Leo Burnett, there were sort of different philosophies appearing and one was humankind, right? Yes, humankind is still on. I think that uh, it was uh, revised a couple of times. Now there is obviously a new approach. We develop a philosophy that is quite particular for us. It's called uh, the instinct of now. 
and uh, the fundamental of it is about the fact that we can see that everything is evolving so fast so there are everyday new technologies new creative play fields new opportunities to communicate for our clients we want to develop this instinct of using what the present has best to offer in terms of communication for our clients yes this means sometimes we use some feature for the sake of it but uh, it also forces us to be updated and some of the campaigns that we did and there are also a combination between technology inside a special context and so on this is our obsession and it comes from this fear uh, it's also a personal fear not to be obsolete because all the time it keeps up uh, connected to what's happened for example we had this ai hackathon inside the agency where we divided in several teams and we had to come with ai ideas that are solving everyday problems it was uh, really interesting and a lot of really really nice ideas but in this way we forced ourselves to think about AI to introduce the AI in, in our day-to-day uh, -day work. Yeah, it's kind of a signature for us. So globally, humankind still exists. And what I think is good about Leo Burnett, other than generally speaking, having high creative expectations is, and I think this was really through, I think he's retired now, Mark Tutsell, is having a clear philosophy that then affects the templates, processes, and then the way that the company looks at its own work. So every few months, Mark Tutsall and various regional creative leaders would get together, they'd get into a room and you as the local creative lead would have to bring the work of your company from the past few months or maybe it's the past year. And then for two days, everybody would judge each other's work and there was a scale that would come from humankind. So I think the idea behind humankind is trying to create advertising that's effective for clients at the very least. And that'd probably get like a seven or an eight out of 10 and a 10 out of 10, very rare, would be an idea that kind of changes the world. So Earth Hour was one of the most famous campaigns that happened when I was at Leo Burnett for WWF. We're going to get the world to turn its lights off for an hour. I think it got an eight and you get an eight ball, like literally like a snooker ball, right? It's kind of cool, but there's an operating system. So there's clear and high expectations. There's a clear philosophy. And then there's a system to judge the work through. And I think it's really, really important. I think 95% of companies who have strategists and creative teams don't have any of this in place. And I guarantee the majority of them probably feel they're swirling all the time. So that's important. And then you've got this, the instinct of now is a more local operating system. Yes, right? this uh, structure still exists. You have like, if you rank one, then it's a destructive idea. It goes uh, against uh, humankind philosophy. Then you have number two, no ideas. And seven actually is the threshold. And uh, seven is considered to be an inspiring idea that is beautifully crafted. It is called the seven plus scale. After this, uh, there are, those ideas are really expressing the humankind uh, spirit and number 10 yes it changes the world i think that the earth hour if i'm not mistaken i think it got something like a 9 or a 10 but it's super hard to obtain it but it is still happening and uh, you submit your work and you receive feedback and the feedback is amazing it's really really amazing I just think those those elements, clear and high expectations, which lead to pressure because there's feedback. Like you don't want to be a creative leader coming to one of these regional get-togethers with no work to show, right? And look, the shadow side of this is sometimes 
the local offices do scam work and they bring it and then, you know, but sometimes there's like proactive work, aka scam work that's literally made maybe for free and then sold into some client that someone knows and it runs on a billboard or it runs on YouTube and then it starts to win these awards because you don't want to come to these meetings empty-handed. But for people who are not winning a lot of FEs or not in this space, clear and high expectations, a clear philosophy, templates and processes that meet the philosophy, and then regular get-togethers. So, there's pressure to bring work and a way to talk about that work. It's so important. It's so important. So, I want to talk a little bit about how you work. And thank you also for sort of being involved. We've just put out called What Strategists Want From Work. Google it. You'll be able to find it, listeners. I'll probably put a link in the show notes as well. But Victor, there's this quote in the report from you and it says this, In our culture, planners are playing crucial roles in the working process compared to other agencies. As they are involved in multiple moments when the campaign is cooked, their input highly impacts our advertising work, making a real difference in the overall output of the agency. The feeling that you decisively contributed to every step of the campaign is highly rewarding. Now, what's funny for me reading that is like, I took that for granted until I moved countries. All right, the planners were frontline. They weren't back office, internal service providers, or giving someone 10 slides that the other person will go present. Like planners at Leo Burnett, McCann in Sydney, we didn't have to chase projects around the building. We were on the project. We didn't have to like do all these education sessions to try to convince senior people who didn't want strategists that they should, and here's how to do it. And that was a few years of my life in New York, to be honest. Why do you think this quote from you is so unusual these days. I can correlate it, uh, this with uh, a figure from the research saying that 42% of planners, they want to change their uh, job in the near future. That was 42%. I don't have the research in front of me, but I think that that was the figure. This is huge. Almost one in two planners, they don't feel at ease in the place where they are working. So I think that uh, both of us, we've been privileged because I worked in Leo Bonnet for 16 years. I was a junior planner, so I started here. I do not have a lot of experience outside this bureau, but I have a lot of experience in hiring people and uh, working together on them and growing them. So I think that this is genuinely an issue. I think that uh, one of the most important things is to have in a high management somehow a planner involved. For example, myself, I am deputy managing director, and this is something super important because planners have a voice and they feel they have a representation and in day by day, somehow they feel to be important. And I'm looking at other companies that where planners are feeling good is because they have a, an important voice in the high management. I can see it even in other bureaus. It's kind of hard to understand if you're not a planner, what are the satisfaction? Why do you come to the office? If you don't understand a planner's mind, you might not offer them like the best place to work. Bottom line, this is it. I think that uh, we need more representation in high management. Yeah. Where else? Because there's obviously different ways that strategists can be represented. I agree. And it's kind of confusing because these roles, strategy roles or account planning roles are in more companies than ever. I've taken roles where I thought I was going to be in the management team. And then I got there, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally like a back office head of strategy with no one reporting to me and not in the actual management team. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And I work with companies now 
And when I hear people complaining about other heads of strategy that they've hired and then they, they don't last, I'm like, well, were they in the management team? Do they have any like meaningful power? Because if you don't want to share the power, don't do it because that's where it starts. But can you think of other ways in which strategy could have more representation in agencies outside of Leo Burnett? Just the stories that you're hearing from other people. There are agencies where through their culture, planning is important. Or is not important. I personally know a lot of creative directors, especially, let's say, more old-fashioned or not that young, that uh, are rejecting and uh, saying that uh, this is not a discipline and we don't need their help and so on. Because the clients asked for planners, and by the way, they are paying for strategy, somehow they were forced to have planners in the agencies. But this is not a natural way. So the opposite is also true. If the creative director or the creative leadership understands the need for planning, then it's amazing. If they don't feel really at ease, then it's not a good matchup. Also, I think that it is important to the whole company, you know, to offer the to reward the planners, to feel that they are part of the critical uh, essence of the company. The more I think about this, the more people I meet, the more I ruminate about my own experience. If you have to explain what you do, justify what you do and fight your way onto projects, it's not going to work. And a lot of agencies, a lot of companies, because these people, you know, strategists are in non-agencies too. A lot of senior people are like, oh, we, you know, we like change to happen from bottom up. Well, don't do it. Don't do it because these things have to be default. You can't have a head of strategy having to chase projects around the, the building all the time being made to feel like crap because they've got to explain why they should even be on projects. The management and the operations of the, the agency or the company, they need to make strategists default in the processes in the business model. Otherwise, just don't do it. Like You seriously destroy people for years potentially when you treat them like that because strategists want to do good, meaningful work. Not many strategists are turning up trying to waste the company's time or a client's time. So what the company can do at the very least is make them default in the systems, advocate for it, and so on and so forth. Tell us a little bit about two to three key aspects of the culture that you believe helps you be effective. I think that uh, what we did, and this is more on the operational side, basically the agency is not just one agency. There are four groups. But if you look at how they work, you can say there are completely different agencies. So what we managed to do is to build around almost independent teams on uh, clients that have the same mindset of the same way of operating. And uh, this led to having people, they fit that client or group of clients. And this is also very true for planners because right now there are so many differences. For example, we have one of our biggest clients on the biggest client is PNG and they have their own way, very particular, amazing. They are doing amazing job. We are coordinating, I think, around 15 countries. And then you need a special type of planner, someone that gets the joy of working out of different stuff compared, I don't know, we have also a telco brand, an important telecom or TV mobile. And then there is a completely different way of uh, working with the client, with the creatives, that is different, for example, with the Pepsi account. So I think that the fact that we managed to make this matchup between a certain type of planner and the accounts on the group of accounts he, he or she is working actually on that particular account, I think that that was a really important criteria. Ah, uh, smart person. Hey. 
pull your mind out of those timesheets for a second and take a look at the Sweathead website. We have three membership levels, starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. They give you access to a variety of strategy masterclasses, conferences, accelerators, and online learning, some of which has been known to make people cry because they like it, they like it, they feel seen. Make the most of your mind this year or any year and visit www.sweathead.com today. Now back to the interview. Do, 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 do. I want to emphasize this. The idea of breaking the company into small groups where you match the culture and the process of the group to the client is really interesting. I feel that that's a follow-on of a really important point that Clayton Christensen highlighted in his 1990s book, The Innovator's Dilemma which is that essentially as companies get bigger and bigger and bigger, it's hard for them to thrive and grow and feel dynamic. So often they will not stay big. And the way through it, according to the book, is you create little skunk works teams or you have little offshoots. But the point of the offshoot is for the offshoot to be able to create its own culture and to attract a new kind of client. And then if it's successful, you work out whether to bring it back into the main part of the business, whether to sell it off, all that kind of stuff. But it sounds like you've got these four groups that are able to calibrate to the specific clients that you have. And a benefit to the strategist is no mixed messages, right? So, for example, when I was at Leo Burnett in Sydney, we won this big retail account and not many people wanted to really work on a retail account but some people had to, and that led to frustration. <laughs> Whereas you're able to be upfront when you hire people, when you move people around, that here's the culture and the process of what you're going into, and it's going to be different depending on which group you go into. Is that yes, correct? Yes, and another thing is that I believe that a big enemy of a planner is the in and out, not having ownership. I know this because in the beginning, when the, at a certain point, with the department are very small, you needed to plan a jump from one client to another, one brief to another. You did not have the time to go in there. And for me, this is a killer deal because your satisfaction is to really understand the business. And more and more important is to really understand the client. The client is the target because each change comes with another understanding of what it should be done. So, but coming back to the idea, I think this ownership. And the fact that you can do your job in a deeper way is very important. Going from one brief to another, jumping in meetings, we need a planner to make a rationale here or to better set the idea. It goes against uh, the planning discipline. It does, but also a lot of companies, their business models aren't set up to have a strategist kind of baked into the work. And also when a strategist is baked in, yeah, there are these big moments where it's clear how the strategist or account planner is contributing to the work. Maybe it's a creative brief or a briefing or a pitch presentation or a workshop or research, hopefully, and some measurement. But often the companies that aren't used to them, they find the whole thing so ambiguous. I, f I feel like a lot of people become suspicious of this person, like how are they actually contributing? And their business models reflect that. You know, maybe what's going on is just a lot of strategists are spread too thin, therefore ineffective, therefore wanting to leave and go somewhere where they can be more effective. Was that a pattern that was happening at Leo Burnett or is it just a pattern that you think happens elsewhere? I can look at the figures and uh, tell you, for example, in the last five years, nobody left except uh, maternity leave, which is uh, amazing. We are very efficient in this uh, matter also. But when they leave, they leave for, I don't know, going and work uh, abroad or some uh, changing completely the domain so you cannot uh, come with an, another offer. The fact that we've been kind of uh, constant 
in terms of people. We didn't have a big change in our team. It was amazing. But what also contributed is the fact that, as I told you, we doubled in terms of revenue, also offered that the possibility to hire new people. And this combination with new people, with new mindset, different experience, together with people that understand and have a strong link with the company and understanding our culture, I think it was very organic. It was a nice blend. Okay, so we talked about this culture and process matchmaking between the strategist and the group and then the client that they'll work in. So there are no mixed messages. It's it's clear that you're going to work in this particular way with this kind of client and we're going to recruit for that. So that's one. Two is the strategist having relatively long-term ownership over projects, over clients, over brands, so they're not hopping in and out. What's the third thing that you think is relatively unique to the way that you work that allows you to be effective? I think that, for example, the recognition, the FEs are an important part of attracting talents and planners trying harder and harder and becoming better and better. I think that the FS in themselves are a very important tool for us to get better. And I'm not uh, talking only about the writing and uh, I don't know, like going back to the database because we have a lot of cases from the past. But the fact that you need to follow what happens after the campaign. For example, we go to the client and ask for researches. We pay for special researches that we need to better understand the the effect of our campaign. So the FE in itself, it's not about the case study, but it's about the mindset that makes you really focused and really interested on how that particular campaign really, really works. And I think that in time, this makes you a very good professional. We have, for example, planners that are understand sometimes the business better than the brand manager because they are focused on the business for four years. And I don't know, they have a new member on the team and they are the one that are doing the induction for the new brand manager in client side. Love it. I mean, the headline for me, it's a little convenient, but in the report, what strategists want from work, I talk about the cruciality paradox where increasingly strategists are all over the place and they seem to be crucial to have, but not crucial to use. And what I'm hearing from you is strategists are crucial in all ways at Leah Burnett. And look, we don't land every brief. Sometimes we're annoying. Sometimes our thinking doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that strategists in a, in a place where they are crucial are perfect. There's always mess and confusion. But it sounds like the desire of at least you and the company that you're in is that strategists are, they have to be part of the DNA. Is that correct? Absolutely. And uh, today, I don't see how you can do it uh, otherwise. Briefs are very complicated. All those agencies, they have one name or a couple of names like these heroes. It was amazing. Leo Burnett himself, he was a great personality, but it doesn't work today. Even in the past, locally, Leo Burnett has this one hero personality, but today it doesn't work. The complexity of projects, it's, the projects are so diverse. 70% of our briefs are targeted in the Z generation. If you look at the average age in advertising departments, are at least in Romania, it's around 35, 40. This is still young, but there is one generation gap between the people that are working for the target and the target. In the past, because in all the emerging markets, advertising was very young. So people grew in advertising together with the targets they were working for. Now, it's harder and harder. And also the decision makers from client side are a bit disconnected from this Gen Z, which is completely different. So how can you do it without planners? 
with someone that is all the time focused and try to listen, try to understand, try to come with insights, I don't see how you can do it because you are not there. And the differences are huge between uh, what is happening now and what happened, I don't know, 15 years ago. Not to, let alone five years ago. But it, it's interesting to hear that 70% of your briefs focus on Gen Z because, look, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I'd imagine 70 plus percent of the world's wealth and money is actually with people over the age of 60. I, I find that super interesting. Also, average age 35 to 40, I would have thought it would have been younger. I would have said 27, 28. Uh, you know, I see statistics, stats every now and then, and the average age of most agencies, and I think holding company agencies can be a little bit different, but many agencies, the average age is like 20. So that's interesting to hear as well. I'd love to hear you talk through a couple of campaigns. So let's start with the campaign that you think has been the most awarded or that was the most effective. Talk us through that one, how it happened, how the strategist contributed and what the results were. One campaign that uh, comes to my mind and I think that it won a lot of uh, words two or three years ago. I think it was, maybe I'm wrong in Work 100, it was called the Banknote and it was done for Samsung. What I loved about it, it was built on a local insight, and I will tell you a little bit later, but also it has a lot of technology involved. Obviously, it was Samsung. Obviously, it was smartphones. So the thing is that uh, in Romania, we have this big uh, festival called uh, Enescu. He was a great mu musician. And uh, this is a classical music uh, event. And in order to get tickets, you need to have connection. You need to buy it like, you know, like the Vienna concert where all the tickets are sold a long time before the event. So... Um, Samsung was a sponsor. Our brief was really, we need to take advantage of this uh, sponsorship. But how do we do it in order to stand out? Because obviously there are a lot of sponsors. It's a big event. A big event, classical music, no tickets available. So the idea, I cannot put the finger on planner's contribution. And I don't usually do this. Everybody is doing their part. Also, let me make a point. Like, the FEs is not about the strategist's contribution. I think the account planning group or the APG, which is not in every country, but the creative planning awards tend to focus on the argument the strategists make for either their contribution or the contribution of strategy to the campaign creatively and from an effectiveness point of view, whereas the FEs are really about the client and the agency and everybody, the whole team. Right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So we can come back and explain a bit to the system of the FEs. But coming back to this, the idea that we came in with in Romania on the five lay, which means one euro on the banknote, you have the face of uh, George Enescu, the guy the festival is uh, named after. So what we did is this, you can scan the banknote and watch live the transmission from the festival. At this moment, everybody that had a five lay banknote, one euro banknote, could have access to this. And it was an idea that uh, was very proper to Samsung because you can do it only if you did it through the Samsung app. At that moment, it was super revolutionary. Everybody talked about it, everybody played with it, and uh, you got access to this festival through the phone. I love it. Do you want to take us through a second campaign? Maybe I will talk about a campaign that we submitted this year. It will be judged this year, but I loved it because of the process. So Pizza Hut in Romania... It was the first brand coming after the communist time. It was the first real pizza chain. Obviously, it's a business that in time became under a lot of pressure because everybody can open a pizzeria and so on. So what they did in the last years, they focused on uh, becoming the cool pizza place for young millennials, which was nice. 
but uh, to a certain extent. Somehow, when it comes to pizza, young millennials have a lot of options, probably much cooler, probably more hip pizza places. But the story is very nice because we receive a brief in the pitch. It was a pitch. And uh, the brief was to re-energize the brand and uh, reinforce the positioning as pizza place for young millennials. And the research was very interesting because we've been in the restaurant and actually the people that went to the restaurant were not at all the people they were targeting, which is not an issue, but it was this huge discrepancy. So 50% were parents with kids. When we asked why they are coming there, there was some unique reasons. One of them being the fact that they have this emotional connection. It, for them, it was the first time where they try a real pizza, like 25 years ago. And this emotional connection was not converted. So you have this target that was ignoring you, but all the communication was toward them. And you have this target that secretly love you, but you did nothing for them. So we went back in the pitch and it was very courageous from our side. And we said, look, this is not the best approach. We know the brief, but let's do it in another way. And our message was built around uh, families as they real are with their problems, with their micro tensions and so on. But I think that that was a project where planners really impacted because they said, obviously, we were creative, but it was a huge bet because there was a lot of work. You can imagine it was a pitch. We are pitching against McKen. They held the account. Very important for them. But the client loved it. And uh, last year was the first year when we changed completely the target and the positioning. And uh, it works. That's awesome. When you have a little family with kids every interaction, every decision is an opportunity for conflict. And so I guess pizza is something most people can agree on at least once or twice a month. That was also on our presentation that uh, we can argue about a lot of stuff, but this is the favorite food of uh, families, at least in Romania. And we don't have, I know, for example, McDonald's used to be like the family restaurant in the past, obviously in US. I don't know in other countries, but we did not have like this when you think about a family place, there was none. And Pizza Hut easily can be there. Also, they have very high standards. They don't put uh, shady stuff in the pizza. And that's always good for the whole family. When you think of advertising in Romania, like the best stuff, is there anything that makes it unique? Like how is advertising in Romania different from other countries? I will start by saying what I think we lack. And here it's craft. I think I always envy the craft of uh, advertising when I'm seeing like advertising coming from Western countries. That is something that I envy and I think that uh, we need to get better. I like the entertainment value. So somehow there is this convention that uh, people are expecting for advertising to be entertaining. And this is something that uh, it's still like a mantra today. The starting point is how do we make uh, out of uh, advertising uh, an entertaining moment? And there is a lot of uh, good vibes, uh, a lot of humor. I think that this is something that is maybe particular for our culture. All right. So some of the things that we've talked about, because obviously we're trying to understand the culture, the way you think, and then also the way you work that helps you be effective. So we've talked about having a culture and process matchmaking thing that goes on where you split the company into four different groups. They have slightly different cultures. They work with clients in slightly different ways. And then you cast, recruit and cast people according to those things. And you can be upfront about that, which is great. You've talked about strategists being baked into everything, having ownership, not jumping in and out, little touch here, little touch there, but being in the 
in the oven as everything's baking. And then you've talked about getting recognition and striving to get recognition as a way to reinforce the importance of doing work that is effective. Does the company have like a balanced scorecard? For those who don't know what that is, that's like a, a management tool that management teams will often use to identify and then track their main KPIs. Could be to do with money, revenue, and profit. Could be to do with churn rate. Could be to do with winning awards, etc. But in the management team, do you have stated goals about how many awards you want to win a year or which awards you want to win? Yes, we have. I think that uh, what we aim to do is to have at least one super influential. Obviously, we have the business KPA. That's very clear. And uh, obviously, we are part of a network. We need to report. So this is very, very pragmatic. But on the RSA reputation on the side, I told you about this instinct of now. And we want to have at least three campaigns that are major campaigns that really respect this philosophy. But maybe the most important is that we want one campaign to be really influential. People talk about it, but more important clients and other advertising people to give it as an example. And uh, here we have a campaign that, uh, an example in this direction is a campaign for reading. Obviously, it's not a commercial campaign, but what was amazing about it is that we managed to involve the president of the country. It started from the insight that you don't see people reading on social media. You don't see this. The act of reading, it's out of social media. You see whatever you want, but tell me the last time when you saw someone actually reading for real. So if you don't show it, it doesn't exist. For us, it was a very good insight. Okay, let's bring some reading. Let's show people like what you see it's what you get and uh, we developed this kit and asked some influencer to read i don't know for 20 seconds like a story of their favorite book it's human you know people they want somehow to brag about the fact that they read and uh, what they are reading and we offered them this uh, possibility and it went on and on a lot of influencer at a certain point the president of romania which is famous for being very grumpy all his mandate he only spoke like 100 words he went on he joined the campaign and we just invited him and he wrote a book and then he read out of his own book and that was super influential so the mechanic was really clever that it managed to involve him even the president so yes that was for us it is in the instinct of now because it was a problem of today and the mechanic was using insta stories using instagram so it was very very present and also the fact that it reached the president was amazing. Obviously, we didn't knew it, that it will be like this, but it became very influential. So it is very important for us to create campaigns. Then clients go to the, another agency and saying, I want to do something like this. Victor, I really appreciate you being here today. I hope you do well in the next round of FEs and that maybe number 11 becomes number one, or at least you move up. When I hear you talk, and there's other people like Tahar Brace, who's one of the most awarded strategists in the world, he's CSO of Publicis Menat, and, and even Lucy Cochran, who's an awesome planner in Australia, and I'm just going to say all the people that I know now, Andy Nan, Lucky Generals, I'm like, oh, this is just how it should be. And yet that wasn't my experience in the US and it's not the majority of people's experiences, at least in the US and really with most companies that are new to strategy or account planners, as in the past five to 10 years, most of us in those kinds of companies and roles were like, how on earth do we get traction? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I thought I was okay at my job. Plenty of room for improvement. Why is this so hard? 
And so when I hear you speak, I'm just like, oh, it just seems so idealistic. I love it. Then I get nostalgic, but most of all, I hope that you and your team continue to thrive. If people want to find you on the internet, where is the best place to look? I'm not super active, but uh, I'm reachable on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn a little bit less. It's not my uh, favorite platform, but Instagram, yes, I'm there. All right, Victor. Well, thank you very much for joining me on Sweathead today. Thank you for inviting me. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter, find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy, memberships, company training, or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop.